Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a born dreamer who started from being a flight attendant and worked her way up into now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and seasoned entrepreneur in multiple successful ventures. This podcast is for the awakened dreamer. Industry icons will share their humble beginnings up to the leaders they are today. Let's all learn and be inspired. Together, we can all prosper. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. It's a podcast for the dreamers and more importantly, the doers. I'm your host, Melody. Together, we will learn how to think, speak, and act big as business leaders share their tips and winning strategies. In today's episode, we will learn that there's $500 billion of federal spending and how small business owners can win profitable government contracts. Joining us here today is Dr. Kizzy Parks. She is the founder of GovCon Winners, which is a company that specializes in helping service-based small business owners win profitable government contracts. Her company is also listed in one of the fastest growing private companies here in America. She was also awarded um, Enterprising Woman of the Year, and she's also a title holder of Guinness Book of World Records. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Dr. Kizzy Parks. Hi, Kizzy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hi, how are you? Great. So let's start off with, uh, if you could share with our audience, uh, highlights of your childhood that led you to and molded you to who you are today. Yeah. You know, my childhood was so pivotal in moving me to where I am today. So one thing is when I was a little girl, I used to resell golf balls that I found in an alley behind my friend's house. And you can only imagine this little elementary kid in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest hustling golf balls that she cleaned to golfers through a chain link fence to buy Funyuns and Nutty Bars. And it just sparked, further sparked this entrepreneurial kind of journey. And my parents supported it. So that was kind of like the overarching thread throughout my childhood was my parents supporting all of my kooky entrepreneur endeavors and just different ideas I had. They pretty much always said yes. So it started, your entrepreneurial spirit started really young, right? So how old were you then, Gizzy? Yeah, I was like probably fifth grade. Fifth grade. Wow. Fifth grade. So hustling uh, while you were just really super young, right? And as they say, uh, hustling is a verb, using your skills and talent uh, to gain a quick buck. So you were able to get some uh, some monetary compensation from uh, picking up those golf balls? Yeah, I definitely was able to. I was able to get enough to buy Funyuns and Nutty Bars down the street because they were like my favorite snacks. And I was like, wow, this like works. And then I just got involved in every little hustle that was available as a kid. I was reselling things to earn points to try and buy things. I 
sold candy bars. I think at school I went to even had to sell Avon, whether we should have been doing that or not, you know, <laughs> sold everything under the sun to either fund some fund something I was in or to go toward like this purple bike I always wanted to purchase. So I was always involved in something entrepreneurial. Uh-huh. So at a very early age, you were skillful, you were ambitious, you knew what you wanted. And now I think there's a term for it. So being a go-getter, the new term now is a glow-getter. <laughs> so if you are, if it's, it describes someone who, um, who is driven and want to achieve something while at the same time trying to beautifully glow inside and out. So for our listeners out there, that would be a good thing to try to achieve, right? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. Or to even foster in someone because it just, it helps you throughout. It's like, wow, if I was, if I had enough confidence and guts and gumption to go up to strangers along a fence as a child, why can't I do that as a, as a professional or, or why can't I try something new? Why do I have to continue doing the same thing? And so it's like, you have to recall those wins regardless of your age. And it helps you as you go forward. You know, interestingly, interestingly I, um, I wrote an article uh, about effective sales strategy and the main question was, you know, for a sales superstar, are they born or made? So, so we don't know really, but there are, there are those, you know, like you that already were showing, uh, that, um, skills, so the sales skills, uh, in you, right? So in your, in your career path, in your career journey, um, Kizzy, what would you consider to be your lowest point? Like your, the, the bottom of the pit where you were just saying life sucks <laughs> and this is it for me. Was there ever that moment? Well, there's definitely been many of those moments. I would say throughout, like I remember being in college and there was some moment of like, oh, the world is so bad or things are so bad. Like I remember, and, and here's what's funny about those moments is I don't really remember what triggered them. I remember there was this moment of feeling hopeless, of being sad, of crying a lot. And probably if it was before 2013, I was definitely drinking a lot. So there was those moments where I thought that things would never get better. Many of those moments, I had them in childhood, I had them in undergrad, I definitely had them in graduate school. I do remember in graduate school, uh, right before I actually pivoted into government contracting full time, I was on the job market. So I was applying to all of these PhD level jobs that you're supposed to apply to internal consultant, teaching full time online, external consultant. I was doing the, the typical thing thinking, wow, some somehow I need to start repaying these student loan debt and and live and be this fabulous person, apparently. So, and I remember I, I went to Denver for this job interview. And it was like right around the Super Bowl. I went there. It was super cold. The people were really nice. And you had to actually like present. And um, I thought, okay, that was nice. And then I remember driving back 
to the airport thinking, I would never want to work for these people. It would be taking a step backward. And I just felt like, wow, this is it. Like I earned this PhD and this is the grand crescendo, like potentially working for a company like this one. And the company's probably amazing. This is not a ding against them. It's just that it wasn't a fit for me. So when you decided that it's not for you, what did you do? So thankfully, the government contracting um, kind of magical door opened Mm. in that I was a graduate research fellow at now Patrick Space Force. I'd been there for a few months. I was analyzing data, getting paid. I was super excited because many of my family members had served in the military. So I thought, oh, this is my way of kind of giving back to Um, our country through this graduate research fellowship. And at the tail end, like literally right before I graduated with my PhD, the director of research pulled me aside and said, I heard Kizzy that you're graduating soon. Would you like to stay on as a government contractor? And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like amazing because I had that job interview. I was praying not to get this other job And I said, yeah, of course. I had no idea what it meant to be a government contractor. I had no idea what invoicing or purchase orders, or I didn't have a business plan. I just said yes, because I'd always been entrepreneurial. And I knew at some point in time, I was going to start a company. But I thought way later, I thought I would work for 10, 20 years or I would end up as a professor and consult on the side because that's like the thing you supposedly do is what I I saw modeled before me. And I said, you know, he's giving me this opportunity. I'm going to run with it. And I said, yes. However, comma, I'm going to form a corporation and I'm going to bring on other clients. So I'm not just going to be a person who's sitting in at a desk full time here in this office, I said, you're going to, instead, it will be more deliverable based is our relationship. And so that's uh, when things really started to pivot. So basically, uh, that was the inflection point where then things shifted. And not only did it shift, you actually springboarded uh, using that situation and decided to um, add add clients uh, into the equation, right? Yeah. So, um, with regards to your proudest moments, was there uh, is there one or two that you that's dear to your heart, and and why is that? There's a lot of proudest moments. There's a lot. I, I, I I'm going to speak from the most recent. One of the most recent moments that I'm just so proud of is we have this contract with the FDA and it with the FDA and it involves inspecting vape shops. And there, there was a lot of project management that needed to be kind of revised, revamped. And there were a lot of like, just things that needed to be worked out because it's a newer program. So it's like anything you do that's new. When it kind of rolls out, there's different lessons learned and adjustments you need to make. Mm -hmm. So the FDA held a call, like all the most important people got on the call and basically (laughs) thanked my project manager and my team 
for turning things around and for all of their hard work and for everything that they've done. And I just thought, you know, wow, the fact that they took the time to do that, I think just, just really just spoke so highly of what she has done of the team. And that's what's important. I view myself as I just kind of sprinkle the seeds and go on off and play in the field. That's kind of like my role. And then they watered it and gave it sun and did what they needed to do. And woo, all this magical, these magical things happen. So basically uh, it's a client of yours that were able to get the FDA through your, um, through your help, right? Yeah. They're, they're one of our clients. Yes. That's awesome. So tell us about the Guinness, the Guinness Book of World Record. What is that about? It's like right there too. That's tell me about it. (laughs) Gosh, I was so inspired by David Goggins. I he's an avid um, long distance runner. He's a um, just so amazing. He has a great book out, and um, he was a Navy SEAL. And in his book, he talked about setting, again, his book, a world record. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this man has accomplished so much. Like, he had lost, like, uh, over 100 pounds in three months. He became a Navy SEAL. He, like, did all these things. And I thought, wow, like, on top of all of these accolades, he also set a a record. And I thought, you know what? I want to do the same thing because this is pretty amazing. So, I chose jump roping because I love jump roping. I'm really good at jump roping and it's fun. So I broke a record for most skips of a rope in 60 seconds while wearing flip-flops. That is too cute. (laughs) That's awesome. And so it was 182, which is more than three jumps a second. What the heck? I know. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it was so fast that, so we recorded it as slow-mo, and it was so fast that the Guinness Book of World Record evaluator, he had to watch it five times, and he said he had his watch, his wife watch it, because you, you had, there's all this paperwork and all these things you have to do, and he was like, oh my gosh, he was like, you were so fast. So it was 182, 60 seconds. And, uh, And how old were you then? When was this? Well, this was recent. This was um, May, like May 1st, 2021. You know, it's, uh, what's interesting is um, I, I have uh, my brother and my sister-in-law, they're very much into to fitness, right? They they won gold medals in, in competitions and whatnot. And I was with them recently and uh, we were supposed to kind of do a little bit of our routine headed by my brother who kind of does this, you know, for other people. And um, so my sister-in-law and I, we were looking when uh, when he said do uh, jump rope. And yeah, for, for us, it's like torture. <laughs> so a lot of people, I think, don't really enjoy that. And here you are having your Guinness title for for that that's super amazing um so so i think that would be considered one of your proudest moments as well amongst yeah definitely yeah now let's talk about govcon winners which is your company your founder what's unique about uh, this company kizzy the thing that's unique is first and foremost People always want to know, can I really win government contracts? 
Right. They always want to know. Can I really win them? Is it really what people make it out to believe? And others out in this space really haven't won government contracts. Maybe they work for somebody who did. Maybe they won like small ones. I've been awarded over $50 million in government contracts. And so I know what it really takes to find them, bid, and win profitable ones. So that's where we differ in that I teach what I actually do, what we've done in the past, what we currently do, so that those who are interested or thinking about entering the government space, that they can easily do that. Right, right. Uh, So what makes dealing with federal government buyer different? What's different in their psyche, Kizzy? The biggest thing that's different is, for the most part, is taxpayer dollars. So there's this responsibility to be mindful of the spend. So, you know, we're mindful of shoppers, right? We may price compare or you go on Amazon and you want some black socks and there's like 10 vendors that offer black socks and you're like, who's the cheapest? And the government is like really no different. But the thing is, they also know... There's a lot of companies who offer what you offer. Mm -hmm. So it's something to also keep in mind is that they're very mindful with the spend because it's taxpayer dollars. They also know that there's competition. So they're not just going to work with you because you offer it. Chances are somebody else offers it. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, you're tied to some pretty extensive uh, missions. Like, for instance, with the FDA, we basically make sure people are not dying from vape products. I mean, hands down, that's basically what we do. Mm-hmm. And then with the USDA, we're making sure food is free from foodborne illnesses. Right? It, so you're also involved in these with the bigger, picture. Mm-hmm. bigger picture, bigger mission, even if you're filling like an admin position. The admin still is very important to the mission of that agency. So you have a lot of that. And I would say the other thing about the government buyer is they buy everything. Hmm. So you, so often when they get to know you, maybe you start out and you're like, Hey, I'm a web design company. And then maybe they start asking you for training or janitorial services, which to the listeners may seem weird. And you may think like that's nuts. And in reality, that's how government contracting works because they really like you and they trust you. So they think, well, you can do it all. Just find a subcontractor or find somebody else to do it. So then it allows you to grow and to grow into different markets kind of organically. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, uh, there was a source that indicated that there are at least 32 million small business owners here in the United States, right? Uh, And it doubled from 1982, and I think somewhere in uh, in your source material, uh, you mentioned something about there are 500 billion uh, federal government spending. And so that's quite attractive and that's a lot of money, right? So, um, so for those out there, for our audience who have a product, who have a service that they can pitch and hopefully win a contract, what would you say would be uh, the pros and cons of getting in that space? And let's start with the cons. So what, what do you think is the most, the negative side of it or the, um, the, the most challenging part of getting in that space? The most challenging part is, is 
coming to terms with how the government buys. It's not understanding. It's not learning. It's coming to terms. That's what it's about. Because people think that like we purchase like we do with Amazon. Like I find it, I get it, I buy it, we're done, right? (laughs) And it's like, you have to really understand how the government really buys and come to terms. So maybe you submit a proposal and you think you should win and you don't. Well, (laughs) you know, or you work with a client and and now maybe you no longer work with them or there's a change in administration and now they no longer really desire what you provide or, you know, so there's things that you just have to realize that you don't have control over. And so that's really important when you go into this space because people think, well, I succeeded in state and government. So government, federal government should be like this, or I won a government contract before. So therefore I should get more. Like there's this almost sense of entitlement that I, and I, and you can't have that. So you have to not only accept. So the bigger thing is you have to have humility. You really have to have humility in this space. Because often your end client is a government employee who's going to probably retire with the federal government. So they're going to outlast you. <laughs> so, uh, so it's something to keep in mind because you don't want to piss them off. And so that, that, that can be very challenging for people to understand. Um, and then another thing is it doesn't happen overnight. Many people make it seem that you get these certifications or you, you check the box for something and bam, you know, it's going to, money's going to fly out and you're going to have all these contracts and get a yacht or something. I don't know, but it doesn't happen like that. Like it takes time. Um, the small business administration said on average, it can take over 15 months to land your first federal contract. Wow. So over a year, right? Over a year. So it's something to be mindful of that if you're putting all your eggs in this basket or you can't pay your bills as an entrepreneur, perhaps this is not the first route you take. (laughs) You you need to kind of take a step back. I also also read somewhere that sometimes it takes 60 days for them to... uh, uh, as as long as 60 days or even longer to actually pay on completed uh, projects, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, the payment thing is so intriguing because early on, oh my goodness, I remember we had a contract that was over 700000 and it, they paid out the 700000 after we delivered. Mm-hmm. And it probably took several months for them to pay. And, um, and, and it, it just, you know, it's challenging because I didn't have the cash flow. I didn't know what I was doing. Those are really the early days of K Parks Consulting. And so what I have learned is you really have to get in with whoever, because there's often more than one person, is involved in your invoicing mm-hmm. on the government side. Because the, the thought is, well, I, I'm told to create an invoice, put it in this system, I'm going to get paid. Well, that's not reality. There's human beings that are involved. It's not like an algorithm. They just pay out your invoice. So one of the tricks to getting paid 15 to 30 days as a small business owner is you have to make friends 
and emphasize with whoever is involved in invoicing, hi, I'm a small business. I would love, you know, what can I do to potentially expedite this? How would you like my invoice? Mm-hmm. You have to make assumptions. Well, it's just an invoice. No, it's not just an invoice. You may have somebody, a client who wants you to break it down line by line, who wants you to attach it, who wants you to email it and put it in the system. And you may think, well, I don't have to do that. That's not what the contract says. Well, then you're going to have to wait 60 days. For those of us who want to make our clients' lives easier, we're going to ask, and then they're going to like that. Wow, they asked us how they want an invoice. That's important. You know what? I'm going to pay them fast. I told them 15 days. I'm going to pay them in a few. Mm-hmm. One of our invoices was paid within 24 hours from the federal government. So I know it's possible because, again, everything I'm sharing comes from experience. So making friends, finding out what they like and how they like the invoice will really cut down on the processing time. So for our audience out there, knowing the terms, and understanding that there is very much a human component in winning some contracts or succeeding uh, in that uh, space. Um. <laughs> now, how about the benefits? So uh, for those that want to get into that $500 billion federal spending, what are the benefits uh, of, uh, of getting into that lengthy, lengthy process and uh, bagging that contract? The biggest benefit, many contracts are five years long. So you're receiving revenues for every month for five years. So it's not a, I have a client for a couple months, I have a client for a year. It's five years of having that client of ongoing revenue. That's the greatest benefit of the federal government. The other one is they always pay. If they pay late, meaning they pay after 30 days, you will get interest. Interest. Mm-hmm. interest. Yeah, you get interest. You get interest on your invoice. That has happened to us mm-hmm. where they took their time or, oh, I was on vacation. We completely understand. We know we're going to get interest. So that's the other benefit. The third benefit is My goodness, there's so many products and services you can offer. I started out analyzing data and in research. Today, I have inspectors who inspect vape shops. Today, I have a Catholic parish team member in Hawaii. I never imagined that ever in my entire life that that would be part of my business life. It is. It's super exciting because you can pivot and nobody says, well, why are you doing that? They know it makes sense. They know IBM, Lockheed Martin, Deloitte, they all do the same thing. They just don't advertise it because it's not sexy. Deloitte's not going to advertise. We have this million-dollar janitorial contract. That's not sexy. But it's what makes you money. (laughs) So, So there's so many opportunities. That's what's cool is there's so many opportunities out there for those who want to go there. That's wonderful. So uh, for you, as a business owner, there's a lot of potential clients. So pretty much, uh, you know, you're not restricted to one demographic or one, one type of industry. So that's, uh, that's wonderful. Uh, so part of what you do and, and part of the, the, the recipe that you have uh, for your clients, you talked about branding or the importance of branding and storytelling. Uh, why is that important, Kizzy? So important because too often in the government space, 
business owners lead with how great they are. They lead with like, we've won these awards or I'm retired colonel or I worked at Deloitte or I worked in the government. And, and it's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> they don't care about that because they want to know, can we trust you? Do we like you? Is there some kind of problem that you can solve? Or do you have an innovation that's really cool and we want it, right? So that's where storytelling comes into play. Being able to convey to prospects what you do, what you've done, how it helped a client, and what the outcome was. That's what is so important. So how do you craft that? For, for a client. So you have, let's say, um, you know, this company, they have this product and they, they get you as their, um, as their coach, right? Uh, how do you start crafting that uh, branding or that storytelling for them? Is working with them to find out number one, is there a particular, is there a process procedure? What is it that they have done or provided? to a client in which there was a win and dissecting that. Cause they may say, well, we offer it services. Okay. Well, let's break that down. What is, what was that? Okay. It was, you know, Mark, he has a master's degree in engineering and, and really trying to pull out what are those big kind of juicy things that the, that you all provided your team member provided that resolved a problem for a client and really shows that you went above and beyond, and it shows the actual outcome. That's what's key. So working with them to figure out what is it that they're really doing. Because at the end of the day, remember, there's a ton of government contractors. So if you say, well, we provide IT support, it's like, okay, who doesn't? But if you say, hey, you know, we were able to use our you know, five-step process, and Mark stayed, he worked all hours of the night, and he helped come up with this new process that saved all this time for health and human services. And then Betty, the GS-14, won an award. So it's like things like that is really pulling apart, dissecting what you do, what you've done, how it helped them, the outcome. That is vital because then when the prospect is listening to you, they're now starting to think, okay, Maybe we need some of that or, okay, maybe that applies to our current situation with cybersecurity, right? Because the other thing about government, it's not a perfect fit. So the storytelling is so vital as, as so is the branding. Because again, they know that there's so many government contractors. They know that businesses say that they can do everything. So <laughs> your branding really needs to stand out. What makes you different? What is it about you? You know, what is it? Is it that you have a leadership team of retired military members? If that is it, cool, put that out there. Is it that you um, have this really cool technology? Okay, then, you know, make sure that that's front and center. You know, with us, we really put out there that we are there to make lives easier. They emphasize my golf ball story. They emphasize how I started in graduate school and how I started my company from nothing. So then it says to them, oh, wow, this is, okay, they get a flavor of who KPC is. Then there's others out there where they may brand that they're a retired Navy commander and they created a 20 plus million dollar company. And that's that equally fascinating too. What's important is you're authentic. 
Right. Right. You have right. to be authentic with your branding because they're going to they're going to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to tell, and they're not going to want to work with you. <laughs> you know, I'm listening to you. It seems so um, universal. You know, dealing with uh, dealing with government, federal government as a buyer, or dealing with VCs or just a consumer in general. You know, you have to have that solid cohesive uh, branding, that storytelling that would resonate uh, with people. Because again, we're a dime a dozen. Everything is usually a dime a dozen. So how are you, how is it going to be a no-brainer for the buyer to choose you, right? So that's where that comes in. Um, And you also talk about um, uh, having that winning um, proposal. And so what would be the ingredients uh, and going granular on what makes your proposal different from the other proposal that would land on the buyer's desk? That, that's a great question. One way is really understanding what the buyer wants and giving them a competitive proposal. So here's what I mean. In the federal government space, they're very specific. They will tell you, you must use font Times New Roman or Arial, no long, no larger than twelve. Mm. They may tell, may say that you can only submit thirty pages, five pages, a hundred pages, two pages. They are very, very specific page margins, right? So that's number one. If you don't follow those, you're out. They're, you're literally moving on to the next one, and it also shows them that you don't follow instructions. Right, right. So by and you may think, well, doesn't everybody do that? No. <laughs> Many firms don't do that. The second thing is you have to understand what is competitive to them and what's important to them. So I'm able, and something I teach is really how to read in between the lines of what's on the paper. So you know exactly what they're really looking for. Just because they say that they're looking for someone to provide project management services, you have to really understand well, what is it that they're looking for? Are they looking for somebody on site? Are they looking for somebody from the contractor location? Are they really looking for somebody who has a background in engineering and project management? You have to really understand. So then when you propose to them, you are showing them that you understand them and what they really want. That's what makes it winning. And the other thing that makes it winning, this is huge, has to do with your pricing. And that's why it's very important to be mindful and to understand what a um, profitable contract is versus what it is not. Because people misunderstand and they think that the government only pays for the lowest thing or they only want the proposals that cost hardly anything. Does that exist? Yes, but that's no different than any other business or just us as consumers. Sometimes we we want to go to the dollar store. Understood. But that doesn't mean every single opportunity is like that. But they're still, again, mindful of price because it's taxpayer dollars. So what's important is you need to be able to compare your pricing against the competition. And you can do that by searching GSA schedules for free. And there's other tools that you can use to do this so that if you're pricing, let's say, training, and you're like, well, on the commercial side, I charge 12000 a day. Well, that's great. Are you going to be able to charge the government 12000 a day? I don't know. If it's very specialized training, maybe. If it's leadership training, I don't know. Maybe not. But the thing is, you have to know what the going rate is. Again, so you're competitive, no different than on the non-government side. So those are the things that really make a, a winning proposal's pricing, 
following this instruction and also showing to the end client that you really understand them, you took the time to understand them, and you provided a solution to them that makes sense and that they're comfortable saying, yes, we could work with them and we trust them. Right. So it seems like it would be good to reverse engineer what uh, what they want, knowing what they want, knowing what the problem that they want to solve, and you um, getting in the picture and providing that clear uh, solution would make yours your your proposal stand out. And and I agree. Having the right pricing um, in insurance, they call it the UCR or the usual, customary, and the reasonable. Uh, price that uh, the pricing lane that you have to be in, right? You don't want to be under and you don't want to be way above <laughs> that vein. So so good points, uh, Kizzy. Now, um, with working with small business owners and with, with the pandemic, you know, this unprecedented times, what have you seen has worked uh, for uh, small business owners to thrive and, and flourish in, in this economy? Definitely creativity has been really helpful and leveraging social media. Mm-hmm. Everyone uses social media. You may not know it. They may not post. But they, everyone's using social media. So how that plays a role is social media has provided um Another revenue stream per se for many small business owners, whether it's allow them to reach other markets by using social media like LinkedIn, Instagram, allow them to pivot and offer different products and services, or perhaps it just provided a creative outlet for them and it allowed them to de-stress. So leveraging social media has been really big. I think the other one that I'm so excited by, and that is small business owners understanding that people don't need to be in an office to get their job done. And you don't necessarily have to be in an office to get your job done. Now, maybe you do for just where you work best, perhaps. But at the end of the day, all the different technology that's available allows all of us, for the most part, to maximize and accomplish all of our goals as entrepreneurs. So that's been a big thing is realizing that. And maybe it's led to... Um, additional, um, I guess, revenue in that maybe you're able to reduce some positions or change some positions, or maybe it came to light that some people weren't really doing what you thought that they were doing. (laughs) You know, so I think there were a lot of revelations that came out of those that are small business owners during the pandemic. Yeah, you know what? You're so right. Uh, it's for a lot of, of big corporations, it's cutting a lot of that fat that they thought they needed, right? And then suddenly it's a huge uh, epiphany where, you know what? These, these and that that we thought have been historically part of the staple of what makes them tick suddenly was so clear that, um, that they could face it out and not really miss out on on, on anything, maybe even um, optimize, uh, you know, efficiency and all that good stuff. But, you know, again, it's about um, understanding amongst all the apps, 
amongst all the social media, where do you really put your your time, energy, effort, and, and dollars, right? So, um, so you're right. I think uh, knowing, leveraging uh, social media and using a lot of that virtual access to reach your your clients, your consumer. And, and, and what have you. So um, for our audience out there who want to reach you, what is the best way for them to find out more about Dr. Kizzy Parks? Yes, uh, the best way is to connect with me on LinkedIn, Kizzy Parks. You'll see Kizzy Lightbulb Parks on LinkedIn. Definitely check out www.govconwinners.com. There's also a link in my LinkedIn profile. You can always DM me on Instagram, I always respond. Those are the best ways. LinkedIn, govconwinners.com, as well as on Instagram. And just mention that you listened to me, you heard us on the podcast. Please speak out. There you go. There you go. Wonderful. Hey, uh, this wraps up our show. You shared a lot of valuable inputs. Not only because when you talk about the, the government space, it, it also very much touches on uh, the entrepreneurial journey venture, uh, regardless, you know, from the branding, the storytelling, uh, the pricing processes. Those are all, you know, integral part of running, um, running a show, running your, your, your business, right? So, um, valuable nuggets, uh, there, Kizzy. So thank you again for gracing the show. And uh, for all the dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till next time.